Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Now, this might come off as convenient, but I can draw a line between the subject of this episode, which is the all-NBA team voting format and concerns Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid will wind up on the second team while a less talented or accomplished forward or guard is on the first team with what transpired the other night between Chris Rock and Will Smith at the Oscars award ceremonies. And while I acknowledge that it might seem convenient to tie a subject everyone is talking about with a subject a large number of NBA fans and media are talking about. This is not about reaching for a larger audience or stretching to be relevant. There is so much about how the Chris Rock Will Smith incident is being reported and discussed that mirrors the conversation and debate about Jokic, Embiid, and the all NBA selection process. And I dare say almost every controversial subject that we discuss these days. So let's start here. With both subjects, Chris Rock, Will Smith, Jokic Embiid, context is thrown completely out the window, not even considered. Although the Oscars have never been appointment viewing for me for a variety of reasons, I don't have a particular desire to listen to celebrities or actors thanking people I don't know, or being worried that they'll leave someone important out nor do I particularly care what a group think in Hollywood is when it comes to the best performances of the year, best movies. I am aware that having a host cracking jokes about those in attendance is a standard part of the evening's entertainment. And if it's someone whose particular sense of humor or comedic work I like that's serving as the host, I will look up clips of their zingers at some point on YouTube particularly if they're zingers that take the starch out of actors or celebrities that seem to take themselves a little too seriously, in my opinion. So, in that, Chris Rock was simply performing his duties as a host. And no, I don't consider Jada Pinkett Smith or Will Smith as taking themselves too seriously. I've heard that accusation of Jada. I haven't made it. Any, in any case, the joke that Chris Rock made, 
You can say it wasn't funny or that it was insensitive since it poked fun at Jada's bald head, which she shaved due to her, due to her alopecia and something that she shared publicly. What you can't say is that it was uncalled for. A lot of jokes don't land at the Oscars and a lot of other places. As someone who worked as a bartender in a comedy club for a summer, while I was in college, I can assure you of that fact. A lot of jokes are also inherently insensitive or make fun of someone because of something they can't necessarily control. Their weight, their height, size of their nose, the color of their hair, or the fact that they have no hair for whatever reason. We've all been teased, often by our friends, about such things. Everyone has something that makes them stand out that can be made fun of. So much of it, the making fun of, that is, depends on the tone and context of the comments. It actually can be done out of affection or love for another person, in celebrating or laughing about an aspect of them that is unique. Maybe bothersome, still unique. And I'm not saying that's what Rock was doing. I'm saying that's why I needed to hear the joke, how it was delivered, what preceded it, and what succeeded it, the context of it. And because there was so little focus on the actual joke, it took me a while to find an actual clip of it. Now, he preceded it by saying, I love you, Jada, but, and then went into comparing or suggesting that he was waiting for G.I. Jane 2, which I can't even remember the actress who was in the first one, but she had a shaved head as a, uh, as a soldier, as the female version of G.I. Joe. And Chris Rock was suggesting that Jada would be up for that role in the next iteration. Now, anytime anybody says, I love you, but that's generally a precursor to some sort of bar being thrown someone's way. I've heard pointed jokes or ones meant to demean someone. This was not that. Did not have that tone. It was practically a throwaway line, felt like, an aside. And here's the other thing. Will Smith did laugh at that joke. Heartily, I would say, when it was first said. Now, I don't know about all of you, but when someone makes a joke that I sense is out of bounds or mean-spirited, I immediately know it is. I don't have to, I'm not going to laugh and then reverse course and go, hey, wait a minute, that wasn't funny or that was mean. I'm not laughing. I might smile, forced or otherwise, but I'm not tipping my head back and laughing as Will did. Here's another aspect of this that suggests the Rocksmith saga is just an, another example of our passionate search for examples of victimization and subsequent righteous defense if and when the victim turns the table. And this, if in case you think I'm getting political here, this is not a left or right issue. I see both sides of the political aisle doing this every chance they get, trying to foment justified anger and focus on whatever or take advantage of whatever it inspires. That seems to be what everybody is selling. And all the conversation and discussion I've heard to this point 
has been about Will Smith. How he laughed when the joke was first told, then noticed his wife not laughing and became enraged. How he stalked up on stage and slapped Chris Rock and shouted from his seat, keep my name, my wife's name out of your bleeping mouth. Said it twice. How Denzel Washington consoled Will Smith afterward. My FS1 colleague, Emmanuel Acho, even posted an audio clip from Will Smith's autobiography to help explain why Smith did what he did. And all we got from the Chris Rock side of the equation is that he does not plan to press charges. Why exactly are we consoling, if that's the right word for what Denzel did, Will Smith? Why are we trying so hard to explain his reaction? He wasn't the one who got slapped. I also have to shake my head at the reporting on this. One outlet called it a punch, not a slap, which is just wildly irresponsible. Another outlet used allegedly and reportedly in every sentence to protect itself, as if it was unclear whether this was a stunt or real, as if we couldn't believe our eyes or the reaction of those in attendance. Now, I've worked with an outlet or two that had editors with the same paranoia, sitting at their desks thousands of miles removed from the actual event. And it didn't matter that I was there in person and could tell them what the deal was. They wanted the story written as if we weren't sure. It could be infuriating and deflating at the same time. For me, that is. It suggested they didn't fully trust what I was telling them. I've even had it happen on sideline assignments for NBA TV broadcasts. I'd hear the play-by-play person or color analyst express uncertainty about something that had just happened, and I'd get on my mic and tell the director in the production truck, and for those not aware, the microphone that I would use to speak on air, um, they have to flip that mic on so that it it broadcasts to the viewing audience. Otherwise, it's sort of my walkie-talkie or way of communicating to everyone in the truck, because I'm in a different location. In any case, I would get on my mic and I would pass along to the people in uh, in the truck what I had seen to pass along to the people in the booth. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. That bothered me too. I'm not sure why everyone is so alarmed though that Will did what he did. We have become a society over the last few years that believes there is a noble aspect to being aggressive toward others, particularly if we feel it is to right some perceived wrong done. We also have come to believe that acting out in such a manner won't be punished, especially if it involves someone high profile, or that it's somehow noble to be punished for such an act. No one came to escort Will Smith out. Quite the contrary. He was still given his award and the opportunity to address the audience and ask for forgiveness, not from Chris Rock, but from the Academy that gives out the awards and hosts the event. The Academy came out with a lame press release that they don't condone Will's actions and are investigating the matter, which sounds a lot like, I hate to say it, the committee investigating the January 6th violence at the nation's capital. Let's make a lot of noise and bluster to show that we're taking the incident seriously and yet not actually doing anything meaningful or bringing anybody with a high profile to task for what happened. No repercussions. 
instead, a bunch of no-name knuckleheads end up being sentenced and punished in this case, which is kind of like punishing the soldiers for war crimes they were instructed to commit by their superiors. Well, the superiors are never implicated or punished themselves. That may be an extreme comparison, but I feel as if it's kind of what's gone on here. People that fomented the destruction and the violence and the reaction aren't being held to task, just the people that reacted to the call to arms. And what all of that says is, if you're high enough up the food chain, you can get away with stuff that the average person can't. And Will Smith happens to be far enough up the food chain to get away with something that the average person can't. But enough on Will and Chris. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My point is the same mindset has made an issue out of the all-NBA voting. Suddenly, now that we have two centers in Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, vying for MVP honors, it's unconscionable that one may lose and, as a result, also be left off off the all-NBA first team because the league still conducts voting by the old model of selecting two guards, two forwards, and one center. As if being named the second-best center in the entire league is just too humiliating to bear. Or, if we wouldn't be able to understand that being on the second team doesn't mean all five guys on the first team are better. We know that isn't true because we're capable of thought and reason. And because we know that the format has existed for a long time. And I can tell you as a voter, there have been times where I've struggled with a guy, whether it's a guy that really deserves to be on first team, but I don't know how to get him there, or... What position does this guy really play? Can I call him a center? Do they play enough center to justify that? Uh, It's been a struggle. I've struggled through it. Ultimately, we get the job done. It just so happens that the big man has made a bit of a resurgence this year, in part because the game is played so different than in the past. Embiid and Jokic are MVP candidates because of that difference. They are unique but they're also coming along at the in the game at a unique time both shoot the three both operate as playmakers from the high post sometimes even from the three-point line and both have an enormous advantage because players for the most part have gotten smaller they're big men that are allowed to utilize small player skills that they happen to have i can think of a lot of bigs in past years who could have done the same but weren't given the same leeway because the game was not played the same way. The view of advantages was not viewed the same way. We can go back and we can re-adjudicate everything in the history of the game if we're trying to make it absolutely fair. We're never going to get there. It's never going to be absolutely fair. Our heightened sensitivity and outrage 
whenever we feel someone is being slighted in today's world, is reflected by the fact that 10 years ago, the disservice in this particular case ran the other way. Roughly eight years ago, Joachim Noah of the Chicago Bulls was selected as the first team All-NBA center. The guards and forwards deprived of being on the first team because of the position format that demanded that you pick at least one center included Steph Curry, who averaged a career-high 8.5 assists along with 24 points a game and a healthy four rebounds. He shot the same percentage from the floor as Noah, 47% as a guard, while also shooting 42% on threes. Noah averaged... 12 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists. He was not first team because he was better than Steph by any stretch of of the imagination, but solely because he was regarded as the best center in the game at the time. And even that was a dubious claim, but still the viewpoint of the majority of voters at the time. Here's one more example. Dwight Howard was the first team All-NBA center followed by Andrew Bynum and Tyson Chandler on the second and third teams two years before Joakim Noah was named first team All-NBA. This was the 2011-2012 season. It was not one of Dwight's better ones. It was his last year in Orlando, which, if you recall, was shrouded in controversy that included him throwing head head coach Stan Van Gundy under the proverbial bus and... Dwight played with a back issue that would ultimately require surgery that summer. He did lead the league in rebounds, if I'm rebounds, if I'm not mistaken. Rajon Rondo, though, led the league in assists. Dirk Nowitzki, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwayne Wade are some of the players who received All NBA honors, but didn't make the first team. Even though I'm pretty confident all of them at that time were regarded as better players than Dwight, or would have been chosen ahead of Dwight by someone starting a franchise would have been selected if we were just going based on the best five players. That Tyson Chandler, who wasn't even selected as an all-star that season, received third-team All-NBA honors is purely a function of the position he played, not his standing as one of the 15 best players in the league. We all understood that to be the case. So we've always known this, or at least I have as a voter on the award. We took into account that the process is not perfect and that 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 will be more evident some years more than others. The worst solution I've heard, by the way, so far to this came from Bill Simmons, who proposed that the ballot ask for one guard, one center, and then allow for three hybrid spots, either a guard forward, a forward guard, or a forward center. It's a perfect example of attempting to look smart or demonstrate ingenuity by creating a formula that looks like the Pythagorean theorem. Made my head hurt just to think about what it means. Are we picking a hybrid? Are we, we have the option? So you could pick three, if I'm reading this correctly, you could you could pick three, three forwards, so you could pick two, pick two centers, or you could pick three guards. It's the kind of idea that stems from the belief that if it's confusing as hell or complicated, it must be brilliant. I would be perfectly fine with the league, by the way, making the format positionless. 
Pick who you think are the five best players in the league. Leave it at that. If there are five guards, so be it. Five centers, whatever. This would actually create a distinction with the MVP voting, which asks for five names on the ballot as well. Now, I've maintained that the best players in the league, as far as talent and ability, aren't necessarily the most valuable players in a particular season. This, going positionless, that is, would also separate the all-NBA selection from all-star voting, which still asks for two guards and three front-court players. I just feel as if the positions are so nebulous now that really, when we, especially when we're talking about the best players, the best players play multiple positions. They're used, utilized in multiple ways. And I've long maintained, also maintained, that all NBA selection is the truest measure of a player's excellence and that this would provide an avenue to pick the 15 most excellent players and sort them in the appropriate three different layers or levels, five players on each one. But if the format is not changed, I'm okay with that too. Those who try to take up the flag by saying that players are not being given their due and how unfair it is that they will not be remembered justly for how good they were or historically they're going to be deprived and it could cost them a place in the Hall of Fame, etc., 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 or the Ring of Honor for their particular team. Once again, feels like people searching for someone maligned in order to take up arms on their behalf. The reality is every NBA player, especially the kind of players that we are talking about, earn generational wealth and plenty of ways to elevate their profile. They're getting a lot of attention. And if they're on the, on the periphery, uh, if they're on the fringe, like, like a Tyson Chandler, and they happen not to make it, then okay, I, I just can't get that up in arms about it. And if Joel Embiid has one less first-team All-NBA versus, or for Jokic, I'm okay with that too. It's not going to be the difference in my mind as to where I place them all time. Those sort of awards generally don't. It's the players I'm not familiar with. If I reference that, I still need to do more research to find out how justified it was. And I will always look at who did they play with? Who were they in the era with that may have deprived them of getting the accolades that some other guy who was the only great shooting guard at the time received all of the first team all NBA honors. No, this is not a reference toward Michael Jordan and thinking that things were skewed on his behalf, as some people some people have suggested. Now, plenty of players have been shorted. They're just accolades. Just as others have received more than they deserve. But they all got paid. Look, I'm still flummoxed as to how Reggie Miller makes the all-time 75 greatest list. One of the great miscarriages that I can think of when it comes to awards or acknowledgement. Just as I find it hard to fathom that Rod Strickland never made so much as an all-star team. Now, in some ways... Rod's greatness is recognized by those of us who point out that fact whenever we can. And had he 
made one or a couple of all-star games, it still would have been less than his overall talent merited. But it would have stopped me or anyone else from mentioning him as someone who has been wildly underserved by the league's voting system for accolades. So in some ways, by not getting that attention during his career, it has prompted some of us to acknowledge Rod and what he was more often and for a longer stretch than we would have otherwise. In the end, it all works out. Everybody gets what they deserve. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United We Cast Network. Please give me what I deserve, which is a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, whatever that rating or review might be. In the next episode, I'm going to tackle another award, Most Valuable Player, specifically how John Morant is being viewed as a result of the Memphis Grizzlies going 18-2 and in the games that he has missed and how I fully expect that that is going to hurt his MVP chances. I don't know that he's ever had a shot at winning it outright, but I want to talk about how we view MVPs, what Morant is doing, and how there are more ways to impact a team than simply whether they win when you're on the floor and lose when you aren't. All that in the next episode. In the meantime... As always, thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 